Thank you so much, Naomi and Brother Tim, for uh, the music this morning, those that sang, and the congregation for singing. Just thank you for being here today. I want you to take your Bible and turn to a very encouraging passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you need some encouragement, you came to the right place today. Uh, We've been studying about stewardship in the last uh, month or so, what it means, what it looks like, and how important it is. And basically, stewardship can be summarized in, in two statements, that God owns everything, and we manage the resources that He gives to us. That's simply it. Stewardship is lordship. God owns everything. We don't own anything. Uh, He loans things to us, and we manage those resources. Now, I've been giving a a picture, an image, to better understand stewardship. It's a biblical image, and that is of investing. And I gave another definition for stewardship. That is that God has invested things into us, and we take what God has invested into us, the resources that He has invested into us, And in turn, we invest those resources into others. Uh, We're just like a conduit. Uh, We just take what God gives, and in turn, we give it to others. Rather, we're a channel. Uh, We receive what God has given to us, and uh, we give it to others. So we're investors because God has invested into us. But here's the question, and this is what I want to deal with this morning, what I've dealt with for the last three weeks, and we'll finish with this idea, this aspect this morning. What causes us to to be bad investors or not to invest at all? Well, some people aren't Christians, and they're just not interested in that. But if you're a true child of God, what causes you to not be a good investor? Well, it's discouragement. And one of the primary causes of discouragement is you do not see the results that you expected to see. You had higher expectations. Uh, Maybe you believe, well, God gave me my children according to Psalm 127. And I had these expectations, and they haven't turned out that way. Uh, God gave you uh, your husband and your wife according to the book of Proverbs and Psalms and Genesis. And you had another image of marriage, and and it hasn't exactly been that way. And you get discouraged. And then you get involved in ministry. And sometimes the ministry, and I'm going to talk about occupational ministry, but ministry, and everybody's a ministry. Everybody's a ministry. But it hasn't been exactly what you thought it would be. And Brother Tim talked about the seed that had been sown. And you keep looking for the results of that, and you haven't seen that. And it's easy to get discouraged. Now, in the past uh, decade, I guess, of my life, I have battled, uh, sometimes given in and sometimes not, but I have battled discouragement in the last 10 years in my life than, than all of my life put together. Now, I'm not a cynic about it, but I, I do want to let you know, for, for me, that's been true. And so I've had to kind of learn hands-on how to do this. I think that's true for Everybody in terms of dealing with discouragement. There's going to be seasons of it. There's going to be instances of how you handle discouragement. Sometimes it's not because you don't get the desired results. Sometimes it's just because of other things. Because the labor is not what you expected. Or or life is just hard. 
So I said, well, Lord, how am I going to make this? Because I'm a biblicist. I'm a child of God. Well, I bolstered myself up through reading the Bible. And then in recent years, I've always uh, read a lot of biographies. I was going through my library a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't count them, but but I have uh, dozens and dozens of of biographies, uh, Christian and, and secular biographies of people. But I specifically begin to target biographies of people that have suffered and then just books on suffering. And so I'm constantly reading something on hardship or or suffering. I I was recently reading about uh, the painter Vincent Van Gogh, who had a very tragic life. And when he painted, he was he was a nobody. Nobody knew who he was. He was, quote, underappreciated for whatever he did. And it wasn't until after he died that his, his art became well known. And most of you know that uh, he took his life. He, he battled depression, and, and that's another matter. But I want to read two statements that he made, okay? Here's what Van Gogh said. He said, in spite, he wrote this, In spite of everything, I shall rise again. I will take up my pencil, which I have forsaken in my great discouragement. Isn't that interesting? He stopped doing what he loved. I will take up my pencil, which I have forsaken in my great discouragement, and I will go on with my drawing. So here's a statement of purpose, a statement of optimism and intention. So he's kind of got back on top side. That's a good statement. And all of us have been there, kind of self-will. I'm going to will myself through this wall. Um, Well, he... He took his life, but he shot himself in the chest, and, and the bullet ricocheted off of one of his ribs. And he didn't die from the, the gunshot wound. He didn't bleed out. He died a couple of days later from an infection from the gunshot wound. But he died from self-infliction. But the last words that Van Gogh said were this. This is interesting. And remember what I first said? He had some optimism. The last words that Van Gogh said was this. He said... The sadness will last forever. I was, I was reading this to Paula last night. I said, it's just this sad, this contrast. The last words he said, the sadness will last forever. He had this, this heavy weight of not just discouragement, but depression and despondency that led to death. I told, told you about that spiral several weeks ago that was true in his life. Now, there are people here this morning that are discouraged. You say, well, preacher, how do you know that? Because you're human. And there may be somebody that's depressed. There may be somebody that is in despondency. There may be someone that's considering suicide. And I want to talk to you about uh, ministry and stewardship, your stewardship of that. But some of you aren't doing what God has called you and created you to do. And will give you great joy because of of external circumstances. And when I say circumstances, I'm not talking about because you you stubbed your toe. I'm talking about some serious things that will bring anybody down. It's difficult. So I'm not demeaning that. But what we do is we, to quote Van Gogh, is we forsake our, our drawing. We lay down our pencil. Oh, we, were, we forsake our fill in the blank. We lay down our whatever, whatever it is that you love to do. And God has called you to do that you used to do. 
know, I, I used to attend church faithfully. I used to teach. I used to give. I used to, or maybe you never have. You never found that niche. Uh, God wants you to find that. One of the heroes that I found in reading about suffering. In fact, she's kind of, after I finish the current book, she's one of the next ones I'm going to read. I've read some of hers, but she's got a new one out. Is Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, she, uh, was when she was 17 years old, I believe that's how old she was, she was in the Chesapeake Bay swimming with some friends, and she dove into the, the water there. And she underestimated how shallow it was. And when she did, her head hit and it broke her back and uh, severed the nerves and and some important things back there. And she became um, paralyzed from her shoulders down. And for two years, uh, she went through rehabilitation. And according to her own testimony, she became angry. She became depressed. She became, uh, she doubted if there was a God. God, how could you allow this to happen to me? I was just trying to go swimming. And why did you allow this? So she was going through uh, occupational therapy. I believe that's what uh, Karen does. She still does that. And I know you do it. I don't know if you do that part. But um, anyhow, and so one of the things they taught her to do was she could she could move her head. And they taught her to paint with the with her teeth. Some of you maybe have seen her drawings. You can look this up on YouTube. It's fascinating. And she was very good at it. And then she began to sell her art. And again, it kind of gave her some hope. And then she began to write with her teeth. And she's written over a dozen books. I forget, maybe 20 books. And most of it is by voice recognition that she does these things. And she has such a an outstanding countenance. Those of you that have ever heard her speak or or seen her face, she's just a a joyous person. And so you you read about uh, her, and and you you look at that, and you say, well, you know, Brother Rick, I'm just not like Johnny. I don't have that willpower. I'm weak. Why don't you know she's weak too? Listen, God's grace is not for strong people. It's for weak people. God doesn't come to you until you confess your weakness, until you say, God, I need you. As long as you're strong, he's not going to help you. God helps weak people. God helps people that say, to put it frank, that says, God, I'm upset with you. Why did you allow this to happen to me? I can't go on without you. And he's, okay, now you're ready. Now you're desperate. I was reading Psalm 63 this week about the heart or the deer panting. And there was no water around. He was thirsty. And how we ought to be thirsty for God. I want to read about uh, Johnny, just a few things, what she wrote. Okay, I don't like to read, but listen to this. This is important. I'm going to put it in her words. She was in her office one day. She was talking to her secretary, Francie, who was helping her. She said, Francie, file this and make copies of this letter, please. And would you please pull out the sofa bed one more time? For the fourth time that day, I needed to be lifted out of my wheelchair and laid down. Then I had to undress to readjust my corset. Shallow breathing, 
sweating and a skyrocketing blood pressure signaled that something was pinching or bruising my paralyzed body. As my secretary tissued away my tears and unfolded my office sofa bed, I I stared vacantly at the ceiling. I want to quit this. Are you listening? I'm going to read something else to you in a minute. I want to quit this. Now, this is the same lady who's very genuine, that has great joy, exuberant. This is the same lady, but she's being very raw here. I want to quit this. As Francie gathered the pile of letters off my desk and got ready to leave, she paused and leaned against the door and said, I bet you can't wait for heaven. You know, like Paul said, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And then Johnny continues, my eyes dampened again, but this time they were tears of relief. Yes, that will be great. In that moment, I sat and dreamed what I've dreamed of a thousand times, heaven. I recited 1 Corinthians 15, where that which is perishable will clothe itself with the imperishable. And I mentally rehearsed a flood of other promises and fixed my the eyes of my heart on future divine fulfillments. And that was all I needed. I opened my eyes and said out loud, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This experience often occurs two or three times a week. Physical affliction and emotional pain are frankly part of my daily routine. But these hardships are God's way of helping me to get my mind on the hereafter. And I don't mean the hereafter as a death wish, psychological crutch, or escape from reality. I mean it as the true reality. Looking down on my problems from heaven's perspective, trials look extraordinarily different. When viewed from above, my paralysis seems like a huge impassable wall. But when viewed from beneath, or, 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 or when viewed from my perspective, it views from a huge impassable wall, but viewed from above, it appears as a small, thin line, something that can be overcome. And then she says, concludes, Scripture presents us with this eternal perspective. I call it the end-of-time view. This view separates what is transitory to what is lasting. What is transitory, physical pain will not endure, but what is lasting is the eternal weight of glory accrued from that pain which will remain forever. And then she quotes what we'll look at in a moment, our text, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, about our light and momentary troubles being achieving an eternal glory that comes for us. And then, uh, again, a little shorter, here's what she said again. I'll quote her again because she's, she's just such a wonderful person. Johnny says, um, I refuse to be discouraged. And that sounds like uh, Van Gogh. And that's why I read the Van Gogh because it's kind of contrasted. Because some of you listen to that said, why, why don't you just not be that way? Just have a good, good attitude. Just have a positive mindset. Well, they do. They do. And I, I believe you ought to, but sometimes sometimes you're going to get beneath that because that won't get you through. You need God. And she says, I refuse to be discouraged. So that's her mindset. But listen, I have to remind myself of that commitment time and again. Because with all the baggage that goes with my disability, it is so easy to become discouraged. I look at healthy people who walk and run who use their hands and can hold things or drive cars or cook and bake with their hands. They can fold towels and sheets, wipe their nose, 
take their own showers without help. I can easily become discouraged if I focus on what they can do. I look at their abilities and it makes me, it makes what I cannot do seem overwhelming. Comparing myself to other people, I always come out on the losing end. And that can breed discouragement. I simply cannot try to imitate the way others tackle life. It's just wrong. And here's her statement. Comparing ourselves with others causes dissatisfaction and lack of appreciation with the life that God has given to us. I like that. You see, contentment and joy are twins. As long as you're discontent, you're never going to be happy. You're not going to have joy. And I know those are different. But a joyful person is a content person. doesn't mean you, you enjoy your circumstances, but you realize that, okay, this is what God has given to me. I'm going to see it from God's perspective. One person that was disabled said this, my wheelchair is my platform. And they meant from their ministry that they wouldn't have a ministry without that. Listen, her life message and her insight, she's a very insightful person. The wisdom that she has comes from the time that she has to think. Because she can't do a whole lot of other things, though she does. She, she's isolated a lot. So she has to think and process and pray. And literally, her wheelchair has become her, her platform. Her misery has become her ministry. And some of you, listen, you're healthy. Or maybe you have, maybe not a disability, but you have a problem. Your pain can become your possibility. Your problem can become something that God can use. You can serve God in spite of some things, but God can use what you have to help other people or to tender you. And here's the idea now, and I'm going to put some, some hooks on this thing to help you. And I've said this several weeks now, that a wrong response to personal problems keeps you from God's best. A wrong response to personal problems keeps you from God's best. You'll never know God's best as long as you keep responding wrong to personal problems. And everybody has them. That's why we get discouraged. Now, before we respond wrong, we think wrong. Okay, I'm, build, I'm building a case here. Your response is wrong, your behavior is wrong, because what you think is wrong. And the wrong thinking, the indicators of this wrong thinking is given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at it with me. Look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now he talks about in verse 17, affliction. The word there means a, a, a pressure, a burden that brings anguish. This is not a small problem. But I want you to notice what, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul calls it a light affliction. Now here's the thought. The first thought is we think our problems are too heavy. And presently, they, they are heavy. But what God is trying to do is get you to see it from an eternal perspective, from a long-term perspective. And Johnny talked about that too. You have an affliction, but he's trying to adjust your thinking that it's not. It, it is an affliction, but it's light. And, and God is not trying to dismiss or discount the, the pain that you have. 
But some of you are, are, are here today and you're saying, well, preacher, this is too heavy for me. I can't serve God because. I haven't served God because. And it's just too heavy. No, it is a, it's, a, it's going to be a light affliction. Serve God anyway. Serve God anyway. Don't complain. Serve God anyway. We begin to think our problems are too heavy. Secondly, we think our problems will not go away. The first idea has the kind to do with the weight of our, our problem. We think it's too heavy. This has to do with the length of it, the time we carry it. It's not only heavy, but we're going to carry it for a long time. Look at this. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. We need encouragement. Because we think I'm going to carry this for a long time. And forgive me, I, I shouldn't say this, but it, it fits here, okay? I remember when, um, when I was in the doctor's office a couple of miles from here. And I kept trying to find out what this disease was. And, and I went to all these doctors and, and they couldn't find out anything. And then the doctor looked at me. She said, Mr. Johnson, you have an incurable disease. I'm going to tell you something. When she said that, this is how stupid I was. I was happy because I'd been to so many people that couldn't find out anything. In fact, some of them said, well, you're okay. And I knew. I said, I am not crazy. I'm not okay. Something is wrong with me. And, and some, you're not finding it. And I went to all these people and I said, something's not right here. God, please help me. I'm not going crazy. Something's wrong here. So I was just happy that that was validated. And then after she said some other stuff, Paul was with me. We're going out in the parking lot. The, the reality of it kind of settled into my puny brain that this is not good. This is not real good. But I had been with other people where they'd gotten that news. But I'd never had to process that. Incurable? Well, not from God's perspective. But sometimes maybe you, you have an issue where you think it's too heavy or you think... A preacher, it's not going to go away, and that can lead to anger and bitterness against God. And it can also keep you from investing. God's given you some gifts. He's given you some opportunities, but you're not investing because of a heavy problem. And it's been there a long time. But from God's perspective, it's light and it's a moment in time. From heaven's perspective. Now what is the third? Remember this is thinking. If you get your thinking right. You can conquer this discouragement. Here's the third thinking. Not only is the problem too heavy. Or we think it won't go away. Number three. We think God is against us. We think God is against us. You know. When we, when we believe that somebody is. Doesn't have our best interest at mind. Or. They're against us. We don't want to work with them. Would you want to invest your money with someone that's taking advantage of you? Would you want to work with someone that was taking advantage of you? I wouldn't. And some of you have never voiced it, but here's what you believe, that, that God is not for me. I'm a Christian because I don't want to go to hell, but everything that has happened to me has been bad, so I, I don't want to... I just come to church every now and then, but I really don't want to go all in with God because... He's not all for me. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, But we know that all things work together for good 
to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, it doesn't say we see because you don't. But we know. That's a, a faith statement. We know that all things work together. In other words, everything is for me. When I get to heaven, the puzzle, I'll see how the puzzle all worked out. And I'll say, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. Everything is for me. And then when there's a picture when Joseph was trying to bring his brothers to repentance in Genesis chapter 42, he sent them back to bring his dad back, a couple of them. He kept Joseph and some brothers there. In Genesis chapter 42 and verse 36, And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have you bereaved, I'm grieving of my children. Joseph is not, he's dead. Of course he wasn't, he thought he was. Simeon is not. Uh, Joseph had held him, and Jacob thought, well, he's going to die. And, and he wanted his brother, Joseph wanted his brother. Now you're going to take Benjamin? No, I can't lose all these boys. And notice his statement. All these things are against me. Now, Paul said all things work together for good, but some of you... Or like Jacob, you say, all these things, everything's going wrong. Everything's going wrong. Don't you feel that way some days? You can't find your keys and all this other stuff, and you're late, and man, everything's going wrong today. Well, that's just a minuscule thing. And even then, God's working it out. It's hard to see, but we know that's not true. Look in your Bible at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 for a light affliction, which is but for a moment. Look at this. Worketh for us. Your afflictions work for you. I'm not working against you. Your pain works for you. What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? God didn't cause it. But it's working for you. God can take the worst things that ever happened to you and cause it to work in your favor and to be a blessing and a help to you and to others. Now, you need to steward your pain, not just in a proper response and a good attitude, but in ministry. And some of you are just stuck in neutral or you're stuck in reverse, and you're not going forward because, because of some personal problems. And you say, well, I can't be like Johnny. Well, she struggles with that. Remember, she's looking, I just want to quit. There's days you're going to be like that, okay? God will help you. God will give you grace for those moments. Memorize this verse. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it works for us. That's why you need to read the Bible every day. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, but now have I kept thy word. Before affliction... I was in sin. I was doing what I want to do. But now, after affliction, it brought me back to God. Affliction helped me. Just a few verses later, Psalm 119, verse 71. Look at this. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. You see, affliction will cause you to be teachable. It will change your heart. It will open you up to God. It is good for me. That I have been afflicted. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10 for, speaks of our chastening. 
For they, our earthly fathers, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, our heavenly father, for our profit. This is for my good. When he spanks me, it's for my good that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, here's the honesty of it. Now, the chastening for the present, when you're going through it, seemeth to be joyous. I'm sorry. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. The word grievous there means sorrow. You lose a loved one. You get fired from a job. You get sick. You have financial reversals. That's not fun. And God never said it was. He said it's grievous. Nevertheless, look at that word. Look at that next word. Afterward. But if you don't keep sowing, if you don't hang in there, you're not going to see the afterward. This is not talking about going to heaven. This is this life. If you pout and you, and you leave, no, you've you got to stay with it. Let God work on you. Afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God's able to do His work in you. You see, you want the result, but you don't want the cause. You want the sweet disposition. You want the kindness. You want the loving heart. But you, you don't want the brokenness. God has to shape you. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when, not if, when you fall into divers or diverse temptations or trials. Knowing this, not seeing this, because we don't understand it always, that the trying of your faith Worketh patience, deep character, but let patience, allow patience to have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Some of you are not complete. In fact, let me say this, all of us are not complete. And that's why we have trials to work on us, to chisel that imperfection away. Another verse, a few verses down, James one twelve. Blessed is the man, look at this, that endureth temptation. This is not an enticement to sin. This is a trial. You have to endure it. It's just hard. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Did you know that when you endure temptation, that when you stand before Jesus one day, that God will give you a crown? It's not a reward for salvation. This is for Christians that are already saved. This is for endurance. A crown for endurance. Because you didn't quit. You had a sweet heart attitude about you. You just said, God help me. Look at verse 17 again. 2 Corinthians four seventeen. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. Not only works for us. Look at this. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God not only is for you, He's working for you, but it's in a way that you cannot comprehend. The phrase far, more exceeding, means it cannot be measured. It has the idea with the immensity of God's positive work in your life, what He's doing for you. You cannot measure it. It's exceeding. You have to accept this by faith. God's working in me. The word weight there means, listen to it, it means a heavy burden. A heavy burden. And notice the contrast in the verse. He, he contrasts light, 
a light affliction with weight of glory. He contrasts an affliction that is for a moment with eternal glory. And he contrasts affliction with glory. All these things are contrasted from now until we meet the Lord one day. Listen, God's not going to be deader to you. You're, you're not going to outdo God. God will richly honor you. He will compensate you. Now, this is not about salvation. There's only one way to be saved. That's through the blood of Jesus. That's through the cross. You come to Jesus broken and you kneel at His cross. And by faith you receive the gift of the Son of God. That's how you're saved. But after you're saved, you serve God and He will compensate what you do for Him. And I'm going to tell you, some of that compensation has to do with endurance. It's just difficult. When you see these old war horses that have finished the the race, these men and women, and and I love these people in churches. Don't you discount these, these old saints in churches that have served God faithfully and they finished strong. Every single one of them didn't have an easy path. And one day they're going to stand before Jesus and they will receive a crown for their endurance. And you and I can receive that crown if we will say, God, I'm, I'm going to, to take this affliction that you've given me and I'm going to serve you in spite of this and I'm going to serve you with this and let it shape me for my good and your glory. Genesis 15.1 after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. God said, I am thy shield. Look at this church and thy exceeding great reward. God didn't say, I'm your reward. He said, I'm your great reward. I'm your exceeding great reward. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, For since the beginning of the world, look at this, Men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. There's some things you have to wait on God for, and sometimes it's to hear the explanation. Warren Wiersbe said, God hasn't given us explanations, he's given us promises. Luke six twenty three. Rejoice ye in that day. What day? The day of persecution. The day of hardship. Leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. What kind of reward are you going to have? If you're not serving God, child of God, you're not going to have a reward. You're going to have a penance up there. And it involves going through suffering. It involves hardship. Well, you know, it's hard to get the kids out and come to church on Sunday night. Really? We had seven. I think I know that. Well, you're the pastor. Well, I'm a human being. My wife's a human being. I understand that. Well, sometimes it's, it's cold outside. I, I won't keep going down the list. I'm thinking of a bunch of them right now. Really? Are you serious? I mean, you think about these things sometimes. That we think, well, God understands. I, I, don't think, I don't think God understands. Hebrews eleven twenty five. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season in this life, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Look at this, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For Look at this, for Moses had respect unto the recompense of the reward. 
He was looking at not just because he loved God, but man, he said, God, you're going to reward me one day. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And Moses endured seeing him who is invisible. He endured not because he saw the reward, but by faith he believed it. Have you ever thought about what we would serve God if we could see the reward? Let me put this out here before you. What would happen to churches, including to our church, if, if every week when you came to church and somehow there were a system where you could prove this, or let's say we just did it by, by the faith system, you know, for every person that you invited to church, you got $250. I mean, we had a budget, and it was a, a big, fat budget. And every single pers- person you invited to church, you got $250. Now, how many people would you invite next week? Now, now, be honest. Would it be more than last week? Come on. You know it would. What if, now I'm going to roll here. You better stay with me. What if you got $1,000 for every person you brought to church? Would this building be a little more full next week? I think maybe. Now, we'd probably have to move the the section over somewhere where we're paying people out because you wouldn't want the people to know why they're here. But it would be different. What if every time you stayed in the nursery, there was a deposit from the church in your bank account for $5,000? The whole church would be over there. You wouldn't be in here. There would, we wouldn't have to be saying, oh, we, we need nursery work. Well, I, I've served my time over there. Where's the list? Can I serve? What would happen if every time you cut the grass, trim the hedges, edge the sidewalk, that you were paid $5,000 an hour? Well, you know, my leg hurts a little bit, but I think I can work this Saturday. What would happen if every time you worked in Sunday school or you worked in children's ministry, you were paid $5,000? Let me give you one more work, and there's more we could do. What would happen if every time you attended choir are you served as an usher that you were given five thousand dollars here's the thing we understand tangible rewards you're gonna get paid a lot more than that one day do you not understand this do you believe this somebody said one time you you only believe what motivates you But we don't live like we believe this. You're going to be rewarded one day for the ministry that you have toward God's people and also in evangelism and discipling people. But we don't live this way. And I'm going to tell you, because when you see the reward, and God's given them to us in the Bible, it helps you to rise above some things to be able to do some things that ordinarily you wouldn't do. Paul said in Romans 5, 3, we glory in tribulations. I have a hard time with that, but when I look at things in this light, I think, well, I might can glory in my problems a little longer if I knew that on the other side there was a weight, there was a weight of glory, and I could get through this light affliction in this moment because of the glory in heaven and the glory of the reward. 
and the glory of my God and the glory of my new body because of the glory and then the weight means a burden that you cannot carry. (laughs) But it's not here. The weight you have here is pressure and affliction. But from God's perspective, it's light. And from your perspective, it'll be light. Oh, Christian, keep going on. Now, what's the key to it? And I'm going to mention this because I know it's late. Number four, and this is really the hinge of all of it. The fourth thought is we think about the temporal more than the eternal. We think about the temporal more than the eternal. Your focus determines your attitude. Your focus determines your attitude. What you look at is what you become. What you contemplate is what you become. Now, that's given to us in verse 18. All of the thoughts in verse 17. And then he gives us this in verse 18. While we look not. And the word look there means to gaze at, to contemplate, to fix your eyes upon. And it means a clear focus. While we focus not at the things which are seen, temporal things, but at things which are not seen. Heavenly, eternal things. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Things which are not seen are things which are seen. Now, Things that are invisible with my natural eyesight, I can't see those things. I don't see the value of a person. I just see a person that's aggravating me. But with my spiritual eyesight, I can see heaven and hell. Temporal focus distracts me from things that I can have. Boats, cars, houses, you know, nice clothes, what people think about me. That, that's distracting The natural eye thinks about the temporal. It thinks about heavy afflictions. But the spiritual eye, the the eye of faith, sees eternal. It sees that which is difficult as light and temporary. And and, and it's able to see the heavy glory. Which eye do you see through this morning? And I'm going to be honest with you, it'll go back and forth because of your flesh. But as you grow spiritually, you'll be able to cultivate that eye of faith. While we look not, which eye do you see with? Which eye do you see with? Romans chapter 12 and verse 12. The Bible says, rejoicing in hope, patient, patient in tribulation. In tribulation, be patient. The word patient, persevere, stay, to bear, endure difficulty. When you're tempted to quit, don't quit. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, that no man should be moved, and here's the word again, by these afflictions. The word move means to change your mind or to be troubled. Don't do that. Don't let it shake you. I got a lot more and I really don't have time to finish the message. Do any of these indicators show that you're living for the temporal? What's on your mind this morning? Uh, or is something just too heavy? Is it just too long? It won't go away. I understand. Listen, God understands. Jesus endured the cross. Let me read this verse to you. I didn't, I didn't give it to Andrew, but listen to this. I thought about it this morning. This is powerful. Listen to this. Looking unto Jesus. We're not just supposed to look to heaven with our eye of faith. We look unto Jesus. 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus endured. Despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished his mission, but involved endurance. And then he he exhorts us in verse 3, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I picked up my mom's Bible last night and I read, or this morning I read these verses, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And it's just filled up with stuff and that she'd studied and things she's heard me preach and she had those words marked, lest ye be wearied, worn out, and faint, quit in your minds. Long time before you quit externally, you quit internally. What's in your mind? It's too heavy. It's too long. God is against me. It's just not going to work. Or this, all I can see is the present. Listen, look not. Look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are unseen. Tim, would you bring my phone right there? I meant to bring it up here. Something I want to read off of it. Thank you. Appreciate that, buddy. I'm going to read this to you in closing. It's one of my favorite little poems. I rarely use it here, but it helps me. You will not finish. You will not make investments. You will not be helpful. You will not get a reward. Our churches will be weak and anemic if we do not have people that are looking with the right eye. I mean, the correct eye. The correct eye. Look at things which are not seen. I've dreamed many dreams that never came true. I've seen them vanish at dawn. But I've realized enough of my dreams, thank the Lord, to make me want to dream on. I prayed many prayers when no answer came, though I've waited patient and long. But answers have come to enough of my prayers to make me keep praying on. I've trusted many a friend that failed and left me to weep alone. But I found enough of my friends that are really true, and they will keep me tr- to keep trusting on. I've sown many seeds that have fallen by the way for the birds to feed upon, but I've held enough golden sheaves in my hand to make me keep sowing on. I've drunk from the cup of disappointment and pain. I've gone many days with that song. But I've sipped enough nectar from the roses of life to make me keep living on. For we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Would you pray with me this morning?